funny you, you mentioned karma because I, I think last year we we tried to run some ads on Reddit, <laughs> which are, which got taken down because I think that the copy was something like you know on Reddit you earn useless karma on Fountain you earn like hard money sats. Now if you're listening on Fountain, um, top up your your Fountain wallet with some sats and uh, send Vivian a boost. Um, I'll definitely be looking at the boost for this episode. Bring some sats. Be generous. Welcome to Life with Bitcoin, where we delve into the human and cultural side of Bitcoin to explore the question of what it's like to live as a Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Vivian. Thanks for tuning in. Today, our guest is Nick Melter, co-founder of the Fountain app, the podcast app that connects creators with a global community of fans and supporters. There's a chance that you're listening to this very episode on Fountain, and we'll be spending some time today with Nick to chat about his story with Bitcoin and building a business, the Fountain app and the very idea and this execution of value for value. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me on, Vivian. For those of whom who are not yet familiar with the Fountain app, could you share with us briefly what is Fountain? Fountain is a podcast app that's powered by Bitcoin. So we've integrated Bitcoin Lightning payments into the listener experience so that as a listener, you can easily support the podcast that you're listening to, either by sending a boost, which is just a comment with a payment, or by streaming sats, so sending sats for every minute you spend listening. And that's really how it started, um, simply just being able to pay the podcaster. And then we realized along the way, actually, that sending money to something is actually a great signal of value. Um, it really tells you, like, if you saw a payment for someone else that they sent to a podcaster, you're more likely to give it a listen. You're even more likely to give it a listen if the payment is a large amount. So we also looked at how Fountain could drive discovery for podcasts um, through these kind of value signals from the payments. And then also built in the same kind of engagement features you have in apps like YouTube and TikTok, Twitch, et cetera, where you've got comments, you've got clips, you've also got new features like uh, you know transcripts, chapters, there's a whole lot going on. But yeah, it's essentially just a really kind of social experience for, for podcasting. Before you entered the world of Bitcoin, and you came from the traditional advertising background, have worked with some of the biggest consumer brands in the world. So, was what was that life like? <laughs> yeah, so I yeah I started out my career in in advertising and creative agencies, and it was fun for a while. Like I enjoyed the hustle of it. You know, it's always a challenge. You know, particularly in an agency, it's very much like being in a startup. You've got a small team, big ambitions. It's very much like work hard, play hard. And, you know, the more ambitious you are, the more you can achieve. So I enjoyed that for a long time um, until the point where I was just, you know, I was kind of getting worn out and run down by being in that sort of hamster wheel of the advertising world, um, which if any, you know, if you've seen Mad Men, it's not like Mad Men, but it's like a modern version of it, right? Um, so yeah, it was after that where I kind of thought, you know, maybe I should go and work on with the clients on the client side. So I worked at Nike for, for three years in, in brand marketing, which was amazing because I'm really into sports. And actually when I was at Nike, it was the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, we would just have work calls and suddenly you'd have like Ronaldo popping onto your call and doing a Q and a with the team. Uh, which is pretty cool, like just being around the athletes, being inspired by the culture. And, you know, Nike has an amazing 
culture like it's such a huge company but it has such clear principles and I really enjoyed that but for me I always wanted to go and set up my own thing and put something in the world that wasn't there before so yeah it was around COVID that I sort of moved away from that and started working on Fountain. When we first connected I got very surprised for the fact that you actually did not conceptualize the business with the Bitcoin element in mind because now that we see the app, it seems like a little bit contradictive as Bitcoin is such an essential element of the Fountain app today to kind of execute the vision on value for value. So could you walk us through how um, the two of you transformed the idea from no Bitcoin element to making Bitcoin the center of the show? Me and my co-founder, Oscar, who we actually go way back. We went to school together, so we've known each other for 20 years. We always had kind of the ambition to, to set up a business together. Like I said, at the time I was working at Nike, uh, he was he just exited, exited a business that he started. So he was doing his own thing. And he built this prototype for like a social audio app where you could re like record short audio clips and share them with friends. And I was helping him out with that for a little while. And we just kind of came to the realization that, you know what, it's really hard because you know, we don't have any content. You have to convince people to go out and, and add content to your platform. And we were really big into podcasts. So we thought, why don't we just make a podcast app? Because then we can pull in all the podcasts from RSS feeds. Suddenly we've got 4 million podcasts in the app. Uh, and then we can go from there. And I'd say that it was a combination of like right place, right time, but also just following our instinct on what we thought the next you know, transfer, transformational wave of innovation was going to be enabled by things like the RSS feed and, of course, Bitcoin. So, yeah, we we built the podcast app. We started adding, you know, features like clipping. So you can just share short clips of podcasts and see which clips your friends had posted. And at the same time was, you know, some of the listeners might have heard of podcasting 2.0, which is just a movement, um, an open source community, basically, uh, which is trying to bring new standards into podcasting to enable new features that work across all the different apps. A good example here is like Spotify, you know, even though it's a really popular app and they have amazing features like chapters and stuff, they'll only work on Spotify because it's a walled garden. So they were introducing a specification that allowed all these new features to be built in an open way, uh, which we thought was really cool. And one of those features was value for value. So the specification was you basically put a, uh, a small bit of code in the podcaster's RSS feed that says, hey, I've got a, a Bitcoin Lightning wallet. If you send a payment to me from any of these apps, the money's going to go to my wallet. And so we integrated value for value. Uh, we were part of the first you know, couple of apps to do so. And that's when we kind of really saw the opportunity. I think we originally saw it as the opportunity for like, hey, we're going to solve a common problem for creators so they can get paid fairly for their work. And we we then kind of realized, like I said, there's so much more you can do with it in terms of, you know, using that, that to drive discovery, to build engagement with communities, and also to, you know, not just reward the creators, but listeners as well, because they play a massive part in the ecosystem for content, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it started. You work with Oscar, which is, you, you go way back. Um, what is it like to work with someone as co-founders for someone you've known for years and years and years? Yeah, it's, well, it, it's great because 
we know we know each other very well so that's a real positive um i think that lots of founders are told that they need a co-founder to start a business and maybe don't have the right person in mind so they have to basically go out and go kind of co-founder dating and find the right people uh which always comes with a risk but you know i know oscar very well and i think the good thing about us is that we have very different but complementary skill sets he's very much on the technical side uh you know as a developer and engineer and I'm very much on the the marketing and, and community side. So, yeah, we worked well together, and yeah, it's been great. I think you know it it definitely it definitely changes your friendship, but I think it actually makes your friendship stronger. You know, because it adds a different dimension to it, um, a dimension that's really built on on trust. When you're starting a business, it's so important to pick a co-founder. It's it's just like picking a partner in a marriage, right? You have to work through a lot of things, and there's gonna be disagreements. So it's good that you both of you have different area focus. It seems like so. How does the decision making process looks like at Fountain? Does Oscar make all of the technical decisions, and you make all the marketing decisions because you know the best? It's kind of really based on trust, you know.、Um, There's only so much I can input on the technical stuff, and obviously, as we know, Bitcoin is super technical,、um, as is you know podcasting and RSS feeds and how that works. So, it, it has to be a, a, a relationship built on built on trust, and that's worked really well for us so far. I think the difficult thing when you have two co-founders is, you know, it's really hard to get a majority consensus on something because it's very easy to fall into. Okay, I think we should do this, and the other person's like, I don't think that's a good idea. So you have to you have to be really good at reasoning with each other and, and backing up your ideas. But ultimately, like everything we're doing is an experiment. So you know, we do just like to to take risks because that's the only way we're really gonna you know create new things. True, true. And how would you define value for value? You know, it's been it's been defined. By certain people, as you know, a lifestyle, and I think it is a lifestyle. You know, and I think this is this is why value for value really fits with the Bitcoin mindset. And just to be clear, like value for value goes back a long time. It's not a new thing.、Um, you might remember a Radiohead album that came out in the mid two thousands called In Rainbows, where they put the album out for free. I think two weeks ahead of the the launch of the CD and the digital、uh, copy. And they just said, "Pay what you want," and that was a really interesting experiment because I I got that at the time, and I think I ended up paying like one cent. I was like, "I'm just going to get it for free, basically, because you know I'm cheap." <laughs> But、um, yeah, if you look at the stats, like they actually made more in the sales in two weeks before they released the the CD and the digital copy than they did from their previous album. So it clearly works. And Adam Curry, who's you know one of the pioneers behind this whole. Value for value and podcasting 2.0 movement. He started a, a podcast called No Agenda with with John Dvorak. I think like 15 years ago, and they've been relying completely on donations from from listeners right from the very beginning. And I think what's really important, and this is where it comes into a lifestyle thing, is like it's not just about sending money and showing that、um, you know through payments, showing appreciation through payments. They they define it as time, talent, and treasure. And obviously, the money is the treasure part, but the time and the talent part is equally as important, because you know, as a creator, you know, it's really hard work. You know, you have so much to do, and you're always trying to get ahead. You've got so many different channels to manage. You've got to like prepare for the content. You've got to shoot it. You've got to edit it. You've got to distribute it. To yeah, yeah, you know. So like, <laughs> it's it's a lot of work. So they they really 
pioneered this idea of kind of crowdsourcing their their podcast and it's been hugely successful like one example of that is they have this no agenda artwork generator where fans can submit artwork for episodes and they get used in the future so you know the whole the whole thing is is crowdsourced and I think for me, that's really what value for value is. It's not just about sending money in the opposite direction for the value you know, that you're getting in return. It's, it's really about thinking about what value can I bring holistically to this thing I really want to support. And yeah, I think, like I said, that that works really, really well with Bitcoiners because they, they just have this understanding, I think, of value and the definition of value that maybe you know, the, the layperson might not. I didn't know that value for value was fairly an old term. Like I thought it was something that's fairly new actually, because uh, I've only heard of it from the room of Bitcoin, like very much, and even even more so after a fountain has been around. For whatever reason, it makes me think of bartering. It makes me think of um, exchanging exactly yeah. what I have with what you, what you have, what I need exactly. versus what you need. Value for value, we believe, has the opportunity to have, you know, mainstream scale and adoption. But I think that, you know, the very term itself, value for value is confusing to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we need to find a better phrase to to really summarize what it means. Um, and I think, again, the same thing can be found in Bitcoin as well. You know, there's so much complexity in Bitcoin um, that, you know, we need to try and find, you know, more accessible terminology to, to give, you know, the everyday person that understanding of, of what we're talking about so they can come into our world. If we compare to val- the model of value for value versus the status quo, do, how do you think creators and listeners in the podcast context are incentivized differently under these two models? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one thing I think that's been blatantly obvious to us um, particularly when you look at YouTube, which has kind of become one of the main players in podcasting. You know, a lot of the biggest podcasts in the world exist solely on YouTube. Um, A lot of the biggest podcasts in the world, such as Joe Rogan, grew because of YouTube um, and channels like TikTok. So we aren't just talking about, you know, podcasters in RSS feeds. But if you look at YouTube, and this also happens on TikTok as well, is that creators are optimizing their content to really fit into the algorithms of that platform, which is why on YouTube you have so many videos which are 15 minutes long when they only needed to be two minutes. Um, or, you know, they repeat certain sections time and time again. There's all this work that goes into like complying with the algorithm. And I think that really comes at the cost of the quality of the content and the, the you know the experience that the listener or the viewer has. When it comes to advertising, this isn't true in all cases, but a lot of podcasters will agree that, you know, if you do have sponsored ad reads in your, in your podcast, you're kind of beholden to their requests and their kind of principles or ethics, um, which I think is, you know, can get quite complicated. You, you can't really have true freedom of speech if someone is sponsoring your podcast because you really have to, you know, say the things that they want to say or not say the things they don't want to say. And again, that comes at a compromise to the quality of the podcast and, and to the listener where value for value is different is, you know, you're really just optimizing towards delivering value for the listener. You don't have any other distractions. Okay. You, as a podcaster, you might also have revenue coming in from, from ads or anything else, but that really works alongside value for value. But if you're really focusing on optimizing for value for the listener, then, you know, everyone benefits from that.
Mm-hmm. And how about for the listeners? Yeah, the listeners is really interesting because you know if you think about think about the apps that you use every day,、um, things like Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat. You know these these platforms wouldn't be worth anything without the time that we spend on them. Whether that's creating content, sharing content, you know, watching ads, all of these things, you know, that we do on these platforms and we don't get rewarded for it. And I think what's really interesting. When you're looking at this from a creator's point of view, is you know your listeners are the best people to go and share your content and take it to new audiences because they're the ones who are really passionate and want to see you succeed. So if we can give listeners the tools to be able to share it, like you know clips and playlists and things like that, but also give them the incentive to do it, then that suddenly creates like a, an ecosystem where you know the listeners kind of become. The marketing department for the podcaster or the creator, because they're incentivized to go and take their work out into new places.、Um, so yeah, like for example, on on Fountain, if you send a boost or you create a clip or you make a playlist and someone someone else likes it, they're sending you sats. So like I said, it's kind of an economy within itself, and that you know benefits the listener because they get rewarded, but it also benefits the podcaster because that social interaction. Gets cast out through the app and gets discovered by other people.、Mm-hmm. What I also like about、um, being able to clip it's also the fact that as listeners, you get to be a part of co-creation. I do believe we're entering in an age of co-creation, especially with the movement of value for value. If listeners become part of the show and be able to find gold nuggets. And then clip them out and distribute it themselves. Then it feels like they're part of the the creation process.、It、grows your emotional closeness towards the creator as well, and it's 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 the building of the community where you share the same vision. And it's not about me being a fan, you being a podcaster. Is we are in this together, and I'm helping. I'm. Behind you on this mission, where I'm behind you on this content, and I'm actively doing my part to speak my truth, sort of thing. So I can definitely see there's there's a, a adoption happening that are enabled、uh, by tools like Fountain and structures like Value for Value. Definitely, and I think a really important part of co-creation is actually feedback. You know, as a creator, if you're publishing. Your podcast, so that you know your listeners are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you know the traditional podcast apps. You really don't get much feedback from users, from your yeah, listeners, and、mm-hmm. you know obviously you see your download metrics, but they don't really tell you a lot. You know, they don't really tell you how much that person, you know, liked the content or how long they listen for, how engaged they are. And I think that's what value for value does. It gives you that feedback signal. From the listener to the podcaster, not just in monetary terms, but also you know, in in the act they've taken off the back of that, whether that's creating a clip or a playlist, like you mentioned, you know, if you give your podcast out to your listeners and you ask them to create clips of their best moments, you're going to get something very different to maybe than what you would have done yourself as a creator. Yeah.、Um, and and you know you you also have different you know modes of interactivity with listeners that you didn't have before.、Um, you know, even just being able to. You know, to comment and reply, and you know, have direct conversations with fans and let them talk amongst themselves. You know, you can use that to to enhance the quality of your content because it delivers a better experience. But it also, like, 
it gives you really great insights on what people are clicking with and what you could do or which guest you could have on next or, you know, a question that they had that you should maybe do another episode on. Um, so yeah, feedback is, is really important. Love it. I, I personally attest to that because, well, you're on a podcast, you're on my podcast and, um, my podcast is on fountain too. And it's pretty much everywhere in all of the places that we j literally just mentioned. I get zero feedback from apps like Apple podcast or Spotify. And I have people reach out to me on Twitter from time to time, just DMing me, uh, sharing their feedback of the show. That's like, pretty much the only place besides Fountain. And then I see Fountain on the show. People boosted certain episodes. Um, people uh, clipped out some parts where resonated with them, which gave me a great insight of what is the type of content that people are interested in. So I can work towards that direction more often. Um, so it creates a sounding board for um, forming ideas, validating ideas. Um, and communicating with your audience. So there's the emotional flow that comes with it to bring everybody closer together in the community. So that's definitely one thing I really do appreciate about Fountain. And the other question I wanted to ask you, sort of for myself, because um, there's so many podcasts out there. There's Even if you just look at Bitcoin podcasts, oh my God, uh, there's so many, even just Bitcoin podcasts out there. So in under a value for value, model um of course you need to be providing value for the listeners to be rewarded or to earn people's trust how do podcasters stand out to provide that value when it comes to you know how to build a successful value for value community through an app like fountain there's a couple of things um you know firstly is actually talking to your listeners about fountain and this can be done in like a really easy way you know a lot of podcasts will have a section at the beginning or the end where they talk about, you know, if you want to support this podcast, you know, please like, you know, like us on Twitter or, you know, give us a thumbs up or rating and review on uh, the Apple Podcasts app and, and, and those things. And I think that, you know, just making that ask of, you know, if you want to help us grow the show and you want to support us, listen on Fountain, send us a boost, create a clip of your favorite moment. Um, and we really appreciate your support. And I think it is quite, quite simple. Um, I think people are, some creators are reluctant to do that because they don't want to, you know, put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. But the reality is like, if you have a podcast, people know that it's on Apple, people know it's on Spotify and, you know, leaving a review on Apple podcasts, isn't going to help you really. Um, and I, I think that's why we made fountain is like, Giving, giving creators the number one destination that, that, that's really going to make an impact for them in terms of growth, community, and monetization. So I think, yeah, asking your listeners to, to, to partake is, is important. But I think also getting them involved and building engagement. So a lot of the most successful podcasts on, on Fountain read out the, the comments and the boosts from their listeners at the end of every episode. And that's great because it kind of creates a sense of FOMO like for everyone else who's not supporting, like I know that if I send Vivian a boost that she's going to read out my comment and respond to it and probably have something interesting to say, that's going to make me feel good. But it's also going to make everyone else who's listening be like, hey, I want that for myself as well, you know? Um, I think a really good example is Rabbit Hole Recap from from uh, Marty Bent and Odell. You know, they do that at the end of every episode. They just read out like, hey, you know, 
Stimmy sent 100,000 sets and said, love this, you know, that and the other. And it's a great source of content. Um, yeah, you know, it's a source of content in itself, which is really, really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I think other than that, just it's, you know, thinking about like what your goal is with value for value, you know, because I've mentioned those three things, discovery, oh, sorry, growth, engagement, monetization, not all creators care about those three things. You know, some creators on Fountain just really care about monetization. They, they see value for value and Fountain as, you know, another income source for them. So their call to action is going to be, hey, send us a boost, like stream us some sats. Um, others really think about it as a community. So they're going to be saying, you know, let us know what you think, like send a comment or like some might care about growth. So they're going to be asking for clips and playlists. It's really about thinking, what do you want to get out of Fountain? And and building your plan around that. What are some other least used features of Fountain that people should really leverage more, either from the creator's perspective or from the listener's perspective? I, th I think clips are, are a really important one, um, particularly since the launch of Fountain 1.0 in December just gone. Um, we, we basically did a design user experience overhaul of the entire app. You know, Fountain's been going for two years or so. And we've learned a lot from users. And this was really our opportunity to, you know, bring everything together in the best possible way. And, and also like just to not to try and reinvent the wheel. You know, people know how podcast apps are, are built. People know how social media apps are built. People also know how, you know, lightning wallets and, and, and payment and money apps are built. And we're really just combining those things together. So when it came to clips, one thing is we introduced like a new uh, clip discovery um, you know, tab where you can just see clips kind of like Instagram stories, you know, you'll just see them at the top of your feed clips from people you follow, or, you know, clips of people who you follow have interacted with and you open that up and it just plays like TikTok or like YouTube shorts and you can just swipe through them. And it's a really great way to just, you know, experience like some short form content before you go in and listen to like an hour long podcast. And, um, yeah, I, I'd say that features are, you know, a great, uh, feature, uh, sorry, Clips are a great feature for podcasters because, you know, it helps drive discovery of their podcast, but it's also a great feature for listeners as well. You know, if you heard something that you really wanted to share or come back to you later, just create a clip. And, um, you know, we've got a new clipping tool that makes that really, really easy. So that's one thing. Um, I also just want to shout out transcripts as well, because I think this is a really underrated feature. You know, if you look at YouTube, you've had captions in YouTube for a long time. And, um, you know, what we're trying to do with Fountain is, like I said, really just push podcast apps forward so that they can really compete on the same terms as some of these bigger apps in terms of functionality. And transcripts, you know, transcripts can be provided by the podcaster, but we can also request a transcript in Fountain and pay with sats. So, you know, we just use some AI software that generates really high quality transcripts you can read along. This also makes creating clips much easier because you can actually see, you know, the audio as you're editing it. Um, but it's also great for accessibility as well. You know, you might be, um, I don't know, you might be on a plane and you might not have any headphones or you're on the bus or something and you don't, you don't want to listen to something, you just want to read along to it. So um, that's a really great feature as well. I tuned into your conversation with Knut on Freedom F Footprint and you shared Fountain's uh, ambition to branch into music streaming. So how are things progressing on that front? We've always said that we're, you know, we're really just starting with podcasts and 2023 was really exciting because through developments in podcasting 2.0, we 
we had a completely new category of music podcasts emerge. So I've already explained, you know, you, you've got like a, a piece of code in the RSS feed for a podcast, which is called a value block. You know, it says, you know, the money I send is going to go to this recipient. Um, but there's the, the new tag in podcasting 2.0 actually allows you to change the recipient depending on which part of the podcast you're listening to. Um, at the same time, we're also supporting through the RSS feed different mediums of content as well. So you can upload a podcast to an RSS feed, but you can also upload a music track to an RSS feed and label it as music. So what that allowed people to do was essentially create like radio shows, you know, kind of like drive time radio where you're playing different tracks back to back. And if you're listening for the full episode and you're streaming sats for the whole 60 minute, your, sat, your sats are going to the artists who created the track um, and it's just happening automated in the background. Or, you know, if you're listening to a track and you send a boost, if you boost while that track is playing, the artist who made the track is getting paid. So that's really cool. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, that we've, we've got some way to go because if you look at Spotify, for example, they have the whole back catalog of music tracks and artists and albums um, because they've negotiated deals with the distributors, the labels. It's a really complicated industry. But I think it's possible for you know, to, to get access to that fallback catalog. And I think that's when the real power will, will be revealed because, you know, if you think about how much you love your like favorite song of all time, I think this is more true with music than it is with podcasts, you know, like how much would you want to like tell the artist, like this track has meant so much to me. I just want to send you some sats to like say, thank you. Um, you know, that it kind of really makes sense. So I think we will see, um, you know, further developments in music and music podcasting on Fountain uh, this year. Um, the other one, I think, is is audiobooks, which just makes a lot of sense as well, right? And um, we've, we're doing some work behind the scenes already to to get audiobooks ready uh, in the first half of 2024, um, which is super exciting because the same things apply. You know, you can stream sats as you're listening, you can boost as you're listening, you can also create clips of the audiobook as you're listening. And I think that audiobooks, had the same, I guess, challenge that podcasts do in, the, in that they're long-form content. And it's really hard to break into long-form content if you're just discovering it for the first time, you know. As a podcast, an episode might be 45 minutes, which is, you know, that's quite an investment of time for, like, just checking something out. But a book, you know, that could be hours and days to listen to. So, yeah, clips and boosts and that those things that give other listeners a signal that, like, hey, this is really worth listening to. Um, we think is really going to be effective. One thing I really love about the whole concept of value for value is because for some reason for me, it encouraged the flow of karma in a way. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I exactly like you said, if I like a song and I love it so much that I listen to it on repeat to the, and then it changes my life. You may be streaming sass to the artist, but you're sending messages to the universe and it's like positive message right because it's warm and it's positive because it changed your life in a positive way that you want to it changes your life so much that you have to say thank you through value for value and i think that's very powerful and if on a societal level we all do this then there's a lot i can foresee a lot more positive things warm feelings heartfelt stories going on our distance towards our favorite artist towards our favorite podcaster towards any 
like celebrity or people who are influential, any parts of the world. And if you think about it, how do we get in touch with them or connect with them remotely 50 years ago? It's almost not possible versus today, like we're connected by social media, we're connected with all these platforms and you can stream SaaS to your favorite podcaster and then they're going to read out your comment and every, you know, end of episode and they're going to um, give feedback to your message. So there's a direct communication process going on and the distance between us and the people that we aspire to are actually not as far as we think. And the very existence of value for value can really facilitate and motivate motivate us to show our gratitude and to motivate ourselves further so one day we can actually get in front of these people we're aspired to and say i've i've made it i've did it because of you and that's gonna be Mm -hmm. a really powerful feeling and for creators themselves if they constantly hear stories of um your content changed my life or i really appreciated the fact that you did xyz then for the creator themselves, it's going to be a huge, huge source of meaning, huge source of purpose. Um, And it's going to encourage the creator to do even more great work because of that feedback process we just talked about. Yeah, totally. It's funny you mentioned karma because I think last year we we tried to run some ads on Reddit, <laughs> which are, which got taken down because I think that the copy was something like, you know, on Reddit, you earn useless karma on mountain, you earn like hard money stats. <laughs> and uh, they, they didn't like that. They but, um, <laughs> took it but, down. Uh, yeah. It's, what, you're, what you're saying about, you know, the connectivity and breaking down those barriers between people and giving people a voice, you know, that is a really positive thing. And I think that because payments go along with that, you know, every time you want to send a comment or a boost on Fountain, you're, you know, you're paying money out of your own wallet. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of, that's what I think what keeps things positive because people aren't going to like pay stupid money to like send hate speech, you know, <laughs> or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't become like economically viable to spam the comments sections on all the most popular podcasts because you have to pay to do it. So, that, you know, that, oh. that does have a, a big impact on like just the general like sense of positivity um, you know, the, the the kind of things that people are saying, um, that, that does have a difference. I've never thought about that. This is so powerful. Cause if you think about it on platforms like Twitter, where we see a lot of hate speech or other platforms, even people are careless with their words in a way, because it's, it's cheap. It's like they, it doesn't cost them anything exactly. to send a hateful comment. And it doesn't cost them anything to spread negativity into the world. And this is this is very interesting because I've never really thought about this from this angle. If you hate typically if you send a hate hateful comment, it means you're you're not a fan of this, where you're like trying to pick a fight of some sorts. And you're trying to be a brat or just rude. And if you have to pay to be rude, then a lot of people will back up, back off from that because because I already don't like Certainly. this. I'm not gonna, you know, pay out of my pocket just to send a hateful comment. So it it totally shifts the paradigm of people how people are incentivized to engage. Yeah, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna prevent hate speech completely. Like people will still pay to say mean things. But at least the creator <laughs> gets paid. With at least the creator gets paid. Yeah, putting up with that. And, yeah, I mean that, that that's true, but I think also like 
so if you're listening to to this episode on fountain which obviously you should be uh if you go on the episode page on the activity you know all the boosts are going to be ordered by value so if you're if you want your comments to be at the top you have to send more stats than anyone else so there is kind of like a you know there's an economy there of like okay if you if you did want to spam someone like you have to kind of pay the bounty to be at the top of the list and i think that most people aren't prepared to do that so yeah we we do think that this system does a pretty good job so far at least of you know keeping keeping things really positive when i started the podcast i have to ask the question of is is another bitcoin podcast really necessary and then you entered this moment of self-doubt and it's very hard to not worry about competition so when you and oscar first started fountain or even have this idea with so many alternatives and huge networks with great source great amount of resources behind them were you at any given point worried about competition we're we're going into this knowing that there's two big players in this space apple and spotify that have a significant you know majority in terms of market share you know apple because they're you know they're the default app on you know a billion iphones around the world and people just think of you know podcasts as yeah oh yeah the purple app on my phone they don't think of it as apple podcasts it's just kind of yeah and then spotify obviously who've invested you know insane amounts of money into into capturing the biggest creators like joe rogan um to to try and corner the market and you know we're under no like illusion that this is going to be easy of course it's going to be difficult um but we we do think that we we bring something very different um to them and something that they would never do because it's kind of against their you know their own business model so that that gave us confidence that we could we could pull this off. Entrepreneurship is actually a very creative process because you have to there's a lot of complex problem solving that goes into it and you have to be able to not get emotionally attached with your idea and that's very important. Um, because if you hold on to it to the point that you cannot see things clearly, you get tunnel vision, and then you you start to you start to want this to work so bad that you 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 refuse to look at other directions. So as entrepreneurs, there's so many builders either on the Bitcoin standard or not that are trying to build something of their own, trying to enter this age of co-creation with other people and build their own community, build their own tribes. Um, so talking from an entrepreneurship perspective, when do you think, so two questions, when do you think people should take the leap of faith to pursue something full-time, um, a new business? And the second question is when and how do you know that you need to pivot in your idea and when to just stick to it and suck it up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think your first question about, you know, when's the time to, to take the leap of faith either, you know, forego a salary or to, you know, be able to get investment, uh, to, to, to pay yourself a salary. You have to be confident that there's something there. And I think that that something there has to be satisfied users who already like your product. And that's really hard to do because at the beginning you're working with such limited resources. And, you know, in my case as well, I was doing a full-time job and then, you know, doing as much on fountain on the side as I could, you know, you have to, you also have to be, you have to be prepared for your product to just suck and be mm-hmm. imperfect. Yeah. You know, I'm a massive perfectionist and it's so hard to look past the faults in your podcast, in your app or your products, particularly at an early stage. Um, but I think that you forget that your early adopters, like they can see past that. 
You know, they, they're really kind of investing in the idea versus the execution. Obviously the execution becomes more and more important, you know, as the business matures. But yeah, I think it's about trying to have a clear idea of what you're doing and, and, and trying to develop some, yeah, early traction that gives you or, you know, investors the confidence to, 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 to go full time. Um, and then the second question about pivoting, I just think that you can't plan too far ahead. You know, of course you have to have like a, an idea of what you want to do and, and a vision maybe, but like, you know, you can't, we, we don't try and plan too far ahead because stuff changes all the time and you can't be precious about anything. You know, you have to launch something one week and then, you know, maybe you might pull it the next week. <laughs> Who knows? Like you have to stay on your toes and yeah, you, you can't hang on to, to anything. And I think, yeah, the, 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 the risks of, of planning too far ahead is that you just kind of become too attached with this kind of idealistic version of what you want to try and achieve. And it actually stops you from seeing the signs and reading the signals and hearing, you know, feedback from users or really looking closely at the data that you do have because you're constantly thinking about how do I get there? Absolutely. I 100% attested that. And this is the very approach I take in life as well. Like we were literally just talking about this, that I feel like I'm this one trick pony, that the only thing I know what how to do in life is just I'll just do my best in whatever situation. Yeah. That's what you can do. Well, I hate it when people ask me, where do you see yourself in five years? It's just, I literally have no idea. And the furthest I could probably like have a clear idea, pre relatively clear idea of how into the future would be like six months because I'll probably have to like handle the logistics. And that's the only reason. And I cannot, I never can answer the question of where do you see yourself in five years? Because I literally just don't know. And I'll just bring my best self and be resilient and patient and see what happens. That's the best I can do. Um, but, but this bring me imposter syndrome sometimes because I feel like I have no other tricks upon my sleeve. I just, I only know how to give my a hundred percent in any given situation, regardless of the situation. And I think that's, but that's a great mindset to bring in entrepreneurship because you never know, and you have to deal with, um, situations and challenges, either you've foreseen it or not. And then there's only, and there's so many things, most, most of the things, or there's so many things that are out of your control and you can only focus on things that are within your control and all of the things that's outside, you have to rely on a, a deep faith in yourself, um, strong conviction of your ideas and then in a way, karma, which is what we were talking about. If you, you know, send all these positive vibes and send positive messages into the universe, then there's, there's a chance that, you know, the seeds you're planting, they're going to feel the force from the, the soil that you kind of beam through the universe. So uh, it's, it's hard to say, but I, it's, it's, I tend to believe this way and I tend to approach life this way. And it gives definitely gives me more peace and serenity and positivity. So that's how I choose to look at it. And I think by adapting a lens of value for value into entrepreneurship, into building something, building a tribe, building a community, and into facilitating our relationships as humans, um, it's a very powerful mindset to adapt. Just like in the Bitcoin space where we talk about low-time preference, um, trust, don't verify, these are the things not individually applied to 
Bitcoin, but literally everything in our um, in our life. And but at the same time, if Bitcoin is not the base layer, how you're realizing the payment gateway to facilitate the execution of value for value. And if we take all blockchain related solutions completely removed for a second for Fountain, can you achieve the same concept and experience with fiat currency on the global scale? Or if you can, like how different would that look like? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And uh, what I'd say is that, you know, even though, you know, we're a podcast app powered by Bitcoin, you know, we don't necessarily, or we don't believe that Bitcoin has to be on the front end of that experience, you know, because otherwise it's really going to limit widespread mainstream adoption. The ideal world is that Bitcoin powers the experience in the background, but as someone who has no experience with Bitcoin, you can still interact with Fountain and and get the same benefit out of it as someone who already has sats in a Lightning wallet and is starting that way. But I think to answer your question, it's really hard for us to say because it's it's kind of out of our control. You know, as a mobile app, we're kind of beholden to the rules of Apple and Google as to you know what they define as fair play on their app. Um, obviously, if we were to make fiat payments, you know, Apple and Google would want those to be in-app purchases so they can take their 30% cut or whatever it is, right? Which changes the economics of it significantly. But yeah, I suppose, um, you know, that there are, the thing about why we use Bitcoin really is it allows us to do things that traditional money, you know, debit cards, PayPal, et cetera, just can't do, you know, streaming microtransactions on a second to second or minute to minute basis you know, splitting a payment in multiple to multiple different recipients, you know, on Fountain, you can add splits on your podcast. So your co-host, your guests, you know, even your like producer or your team or your, or your listeners can get a share of every single payment. Um, that's not possible with, with, with fear, but yeah, look, we'll, we'll have to see, we'll have to see. And this is why we say, you know, you can't plan too far ahead because who knows what Apple and Google's policy will be later down the line. Um, there's always the, you know, the option of having a web app, which I think is becoming more popular and something that I think some of the Nostra apps as well have adopted as well, because they had the same issue with zaps and, you know, compliance with, with the app store regulations. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I, we think that Bitcoin is, is, is really the only way to do this. And we often do get asked like, you know, would you do it with like another, any other cryptocurrency or a token, or would you launch your own token? And we're like, no, like, <laughs> of course we wouldn't. Like Bitcoin's the only thing that's going to be here forever, right? So like, that's why we're building on it. And it does things that other, other currencies can't do. So um, hopefully we'll be using that for the long term. Right. If you have a bulletproof asset, like why shoot yourself with something else? Like and try to yeah. make something that's less less good it's just not worthwhile um and i can imagine if you go through the fiat route um let's let alone the the big platform taking a cut thing just to implement the same level of functionality and sophistication on the global scale with fiat currency it's going to be a lot headache you probably need like three more years before you can launch before you get all the compliance and get all the bank accounts set up and ever since you bought your first bitcoin in 2020 and a lot has happened with how your routine is your career and with all these exciting updates with the business but personally have you noticed any changes on a personal level (laughs) 
I actually, I, I checked this this morning. I, I first bought Bitcoin in, I think it was April 2021, which I think was like pretty much an all-time high. Yeah, it was at like 65K dollars yeah, when yeah. I bought. Um, because, you know, I was, I guess, yeah, I was, I was naive. But then again, looking back on it, yeah, I would buy it again at that price. Of, of course, course I would. yeah. Um, and, I, and I know that now. But yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, how has Bitcoin changed my life? Definitely, I am, you know, I, I live a, I guess, a more like, I, I spend less money, you know? Mm. I spend less money on nice holidays, nice clothes, like nice things, because I'm like, I just want to buy more Bitcoin. And I want to buy as much Bitcoin as possible, and I want to hold it as long as possible. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, I've just kind of grown to to like, you know, to try and make those sacrifices for the long term, having like a, you know, you know, low time preference, as we say, but, uh, and that's kind of come quite naturally, I think, um, over time, you know, going back like to when I was younger, like that was very different, but yeah, I think it, it does take a, it does take a while, right? Like I never knew, I never knew that Bitcoin could be what it is to me today. When I started, I had no idea yeah. that it would affect me in the way that it has. Yeah. And, you know, I'm by no means like, you know, technical or like really deep into Bitcoin in the way that some others are. But yeah. like, you know, I, I kind of I understand the, the the philosophy of it, like the mentality of it. And it's like also now kind of transpired as, as as a lifestyle, too. When you're choosing to forego things like fancy clothes and nice vacations, in a way, it doesn't really feel like sacrifice because you know that you're working towards something that even better so it doesn't it just changes how you view consumption in a way uh what you buy how much you buy what kind of things you should put more money on when what kind of things that you should put less money on like i think bitcoin change at least invite us to rethink a lot of these questions a lot of the decision we make around purchasing around um how we regulate ourselves as individuals in general. So are there anything that you didn't believe before and now you do? Or um, you didn't do then, but you're doing it now because of Bitcoin? Um, I, I'd say that it's more down to like my just beliefs and understanding of the world changing gradually over time. I think that when I first, yeah, really uh, got into Bitcoin, I guess I was just amazed that like, wow, all these people like really care about like the fact that our money is broken. Like I was like, they, they care really passionately. Like, is it because it like it directly affects them personally or is it like affecting people around the world? And I think that once you start to go into, you know, like, you know, global like monetary policy and understanding like global markets and, and how money works, and the, the impact that it has, not just on you and like your own situation, but other people around the world, like you start to get that perspective. So over time, I was like, you know, the same people that I looked at and thought, wow, like they're, they're really crazy for this stuff. Like you, you kind of, yeah, you, you do get there eventually. And I think it happens subconsciously as well. Like I notice it when I'm, if I'm talking to like friends and family and, and I start talking to them about self-custody or, or something like that. And they're like, wow, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> they don't really know what I'm talking about, yeah. but like, I, I kind of check myself and I'm like, wow, okay, maybe I've, I've taken on more of this stuff than I really noticed I had. And if people that you on a daily basis interact with are 
kind of sharing that same mindset. And it you get a little bit of a shock when you step outside of the circle and step into the wild world where you have that reckoning of, oh, like I am a little bit different from who I used to be and from most of other people that's out there. What are some of the things that in your career that you learned in terms of getting ideas crossed? Using common reference points that people can quickly understand really helps because as soon as you start to get technical about anything, you know, you're, you're going to lose them. And the thing about like having a, you know, a, a common like example is that as soon as they get it, it gives you the permission to go deeper. Um, but unless you kind of have that person on the same page from the beginning, because they, you know, can relate to it in a certain way, you're never going to get there. It has to be at the eye level. Communication can only happens when there's a common ground. It has to have a common ground. If there's no common ground found between the parties of the communication, then you're just talking at different frequencies, talking in different languages, and there's no real progress can be made if you're thinking about and work towards different things. Um, so I guess that's one thing that I constantly think about when I'm trying to orange peel other people. Like, do I, do I, can I find a common ground with them before I start talking about Bitcoin? <laughs> and we're seeing some very fancy Bitcoin advertisements coming up with the movement <laughs> of uh, Bitcoin ETF. And if you were to go back to your previous career and produce one of those, um, for Bitcoin awareness and for the mass in general, how how do you think you would approach it? Oh, so I, I, I don't know if I can answer that question right now. <laughs> yeah, That's a tough it's going to be a four-month like, process probably, typically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, it, it, it's taken a, a long time to crack. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, to be honest, like sometimes memes are just the best way of describing anything, you know? <laughs> Um, there's obviously a lot of Bitcoin memes that are only really understood by Bitcoiners, but like, you know, you do see some where you're like, okay, someone who doesn't know Bitcoin could see this and be like, oh yeah, yeah. like obviously, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there, there's some amazing work being done. Um, some great campaigns that I've seen recently. And I think that, you know, it's only a good thing. And I think that other companies working in Bitcoin see those ads and they're like, okay, cool. We need something like that as well. Yeah. Or like, we need to like work out how to talk about this thing in a way that more people are going to understand it or resonate with it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're just kind of raising the tentpole for everybody else. And yeah, that's, that's a great thing. I think one takeaway I'm seeing from the few fancy advertisements I've seen on Twitter about Bitcoin is the fact that none, almost none of them get into the detail of, or get even get into what Bitcoin is. So the general mm. idea I got from these advertisement is you have like a really fancy setting and here's Bitcoin. And then there's this person say, Bitcoin is cool. And they make it a catchphrase. You know what, you know, what's the next cool thing? Bitcoin, you know, what's the next trendy thing? They, they just don't even try to explain what it is. They don't, they don't even get started with that. They just kind of put a label on it, which is fairly straightforward and almost like butchering what it actually is, but it gets crossed. It's catchy. It's catchy. Mm. Um, and if they understand the fact that most of people, most people out there are not um, technical or they're not yet into economics or they're not aware of how messed up the society we live in today, 
but most people can FOMO. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, there's there is so much to say about Bitcoin. Like, what do you say if you've got 30 seconds and you're you're creating an ad, particularly if that ad is designed to you know to to reach a to, to a wider audience that don't really know about Bitcoin? It's really hard to do. But I think that we'll just see like the same lessons learned in Bitcoin advertising as you know you know advertising since you know going back since like the 50s and 60s you know like people will will try the same things apply you know use the same techniques make the same mistakes follow different trends and yeah i think it's just going to be a process of trial and error we bitcoiners who actively work in this space i think we can take a note or two from these upcoming advertising to see how can we get things across because we're into we're into it already and we adapt we certainly adapt to different narrative and use words like self-custody or <laughs> those uh, words that are not um native to to people who are not yet in the space yeah and i, I you know i think it's a, it was it was really it really worked in our favor that the fact we had bitcoin integrated right from the very beginning because we we very quickly had a you know, a very engaged and interested community of Bitcoiners who wanted to explore our product. You know, if we didn't have that, you know, we we would definitely not be where we are today. You know, the fact that we had, you know, podcasters who were Bitcoiners or had podcasts about Bitcoin, you know, telling their listeners to go and listen on Fountain or other podcasting 2.0 apps made a huge difference. And I think, I think maybe at first, like there was a kind of a novelty factor of like, oh, I can use my Bitcoin you know, to do this thing, because I think that's the, the great thing about this phase that we're in now, like particularly with the Lightning Network is that we're seeing Bitcoin power these amazing products and experiences that weren't possible before. And people get excited about that. Um, and I think the challenge for us is like, how do we, how do we project that excitement from Bitcoiners about a pro this product to, to, to a wider audience? What are the ways to stay close to your work? We've got a Substack page, um, Fountain Substack. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Fountain underscore app. Um, we've also got like a, a Telegram group for beta testing new uh, features and updates. Uh, we have links to that on our different channels as well. Just heard about it today for the first time. You can download it on uh, the App Store, Google Play Store. Um, you can also go to our website, fountain.fm to, to find out more. Sounds good. Thank you, Nick, for joining today. I've um, I've certainly learned a lot more about Fountain and the whole idea around value for value. I think this is the way to go. And I'm super excited to see how business like Fountain can take this idea forward and to really make that into part of our, I hope, daily routine um, sooner than later. Now, if you're listening on Fountain, um, top up your, your Fountain wallet with some sats and uh, send Vivian a boost. Um, I'll definitely be looking at the boost for this episode. <laughs> Bring some sats, be generous. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And if you have any feedback, like, please, please let us know. Whatever Nick says. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much. I hope you are listening uh, to this very episode on Fountain and then all of the episodes on Life with Bitcoin. I definitely see Fountain being one of my major traffic source already, um, which is super great. And I hope everyone uh, enjoy the show and send me feedback there. And I'll be checking um, from time to time. And um, yeah, I'll be starting to read out um, the comments I get from Fountain. So please 
send me some stats on Fountain, and then、um, looking forward to reading your comments. This is another episode of Light with Bitcoin. I'm your host Vivian, and we'll see you in another episode. <laughs>